your time alone with God? Are you faithful? Can you be trusted with attending classes? Can you be trusted with the small budget you currently have? How are you handling the true riches of the good news of Jesus Christ as your Savior and friend? Hey everyone, Michael popping in here on the beginning of this episode. I want to welcome you back to another episode of Elevate Retake. And today you're in for a special episode. You know, when life gets busy with school or work, it's important to take a break and to pray. And every year we have the opportunity to partner with Southwestern Adventist University for a week of prayer. It's a time of spiritual emphasis for our students and staff. We get together and we listen to amazing sermons, worship with amazing music, and have the opportunity to hear the voice of God from different speakers. We thought it'd be awesome to share these sermons with you. On today's episode, chaplain, pastor, and speaker, Russ Laughlin. Today, I want to start off with a question with you, Swo. It's a silly one. Are you a bucket or a conduit? Let me see if I can explain. It, it was one of those electric moments. You've known them, you've had them, you've experienced that. Um, it, was, it was on a retreat. It was a winter camp. We were doing an exercise. We were sitting, probably 40, 50 of us in a, in a circle. We each had gotten down to two priorities. We had them written on cards, and it was Russell's turn. Russell was arguably the best-looking guy in the school, athletic, gymnastic, strong, smart. He, he, had, he was the whole deal. And about six weeks before Bible camp, he had started dating Sherry. Now, she was musically talented. She was smart. She was athletic. And they were both on the gymnastics team. And their pairs routine was phenomenal. And so we sat in the circle and it was Russell's turn. And the, the moment just came. On, it, was, it, was, it was classic. And he said, I have two priorities. I've got God, and I've got Sherry. I've got God, and I have Sherry. And you could see the indecision on his face as he said, I, I have God, and I have Sherry. And I'm going to let go of God because I think he'll understand, and I'm going to hold on to Sherry. And she was sitting next to him, and, and she leaned over and, you know, did the side hug because we're at a school, you know, so you can't break, you know. She goes like this and all the girls go, oh. And all the guys sat stone-faced, silently jealous that it wasn't them. Electric moments. God and. What's your God and today? We all have them. God and, and you fill in the blank. I don't know what yours is today. I know what some of mine have been in the past. Our passage today comes from Luke chapter 16. And I'm going to start with the very last verse because it climaxes and he says, you can't have God and. 
It says you can't serve God and money. No, don't worry. I'm not going to be looking at a sermon on how you use your money today. Oh, I want to go much deeper than that. But you see, every one of us has something in our life that is jockeying for that number one position. And we're looking at a story that picks up where Mr. Coker left off yesterday. There's no ending to his story, that story. He told us we're the ending of the story and Jesus is going to drive it home. Would you pause with me? Father God, we sang we're available. Now please, make us available. Get the distractions out of our hearts and lives. If it's a significant other, Lord, just help us to focus. If it's a device or a book or studies, give us a few minutes to be in Your presence. In Jesus' name, Amen. Luke chapter 16, we're looking at verse 1. It's called the parable of the shrewd master or shrewd manager. Jesus told His disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So He called him in and asked, what is this I hear? Give me an account of your management because you cannot be a manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what am I going to do now? The master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. Ha! I know what I will do when I lose my job here. And people will welcome me into their houses. So he called each of the debtors. Come here, come here, quick, 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 quick. How much do you owe the master? I, 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 I owe um, 900 gallons of oil. The manager told him, hey, where's your bill? Quick, mark through it. Make it 450. And then he asked a second, how much do you owe? I have 1,000 bushels of wheat. Quick, quick, quick. Give me your bill. Make it 800. And the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Oh, this was a fun week of studying. I'm telling you, this passage, you can just write this one home to your parents right now. We heard this really cool story. And, and what chapel taught us today is we can be dishonest and make money and get commended. If that's what you hear today, turn your hearing aid up. Because that's not the story. That's not where we're going. Let's go back. Both the rich man and the manager were pursuing happiness. You see, the rich man was tired of details. He had plenty. His pursuit of happiness had led him to plenty. And the more he had, well, the less time he had. So he figured out a plan. I will hire a manager to take care of all the stuff I don't want to deal with, and I will pursue happiness without details. He had stuff but not time. Now the manager on the other side was happy to get that job. It was his, maybe his first job, and it was happiness upon a new position. It was his dream job. I can imagine his parents telling everybody, oh, you know the richest man in town? <laughs> Our son is his manager. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he told his friends, <laughs> texted everybody, I got a job. Really? Where? I work for the richest guy in town. This dude is loaded. 
sometime, and the Bible doesn't tell us when. When you base your happiness on position, somewhere, somehow, happiness fades. And it faded somehow in this story. And the manager's pursuit of happiness morphed into the pursuit of pleasure. It was the good life for himself. Being surrounded by the good life, he just needed a little bit more at first. I don't believe for a minute that he was incompetent. No, he's way too shrewd and too smart for that. I believe he saw an opportunity. It was just a little, maybe it was just an extra meal out on the, on, on the master's tab. But I believe he knew what he was doing. I believe he thought he was so smart he wouldn't get caught. And you see, pleasure has an ability to blind us and numb us to the reality that is around us. Sooner or later, somebody figured it out. And the manager got caught. And there was no way out. And the manager then became passionate about his immediate future. And he conspired with the debtors to rip off the rich man. The manager replaced infinite hope for finite hopelessness. In his pursuit of happiness, he tried position, pleasure, passion, and supposed plenty. The rich man commends his shrewdness, <laughs> but he still gets fired. So where's the hope in this story? I thought we were talking about infinite hope, and this doesn't sound very hopeful to me. Look back at chapter 16, verse 1. There was a rich man. No, no, no. Before that. What are the very first words? See, I was struggling with this passage until I came back to the very first words of this passage. Jesus told His disciples. Who is the target of audience of this? I was under the impression that in the context we've been talking about the Pharisees and Jesus had been talking to the Pharisees. I assumed He was talking to the Pharisees. I read right over those words. But the reality is, Jesus has changed His direction. He's talked to the, to the Pharisees. He's told them about the older brother and the younger brother, the lost sheep, the lost coin. And He turns His attention. He turns His focus to His disciples. And He looks at them and He tells us this strange, strange story. He's not talking to Pharisees. Oh yeah, they're listening in. We'll find that out. And you see at the end of the story. But he's talking to his disciples. Why? You see, the disciples are in their senior year at Jesus University. They've been taught and mentored by Jesus for three and a half years. And Jesus knows that their NCLEX is just in front of them. Jesus knows that the final exam is going to be harder than you can imagine. Harder than they could imagine. Jesus knows the cross is right in front of Him. Jesus is talking to Andrew and John. Yeah, they were the first disciples. 
But these disciples, in their pursuit of happiness, yes, they were following Jesus. But they were in a position of close to Jesus. Did you catch that? Their close, their position of disciples was getting in the way of them seeing Jesus. They had the pleasure of being on the front line. Can you imagine some of those incredible miracles when he brought Lazarus back to dead from the dead? And, and, and their front line, they get to see it straight up front. They were passionate about Jesus as the Messiah. They had witnessed Jesus take nothing and turn it into plenty. But Jesus is talking to the disciples. The story ends abruptly and Jesus switched from storyteller to commentator for the people of this world. Verse 8, For people of this world are more shrewd in their dealings with their own kind than the people of light. Jesus is talking to disciples. What's He saying? He goes further. I tell you, use worldly gain. To gain wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when the wealth is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Jesus is talking to disciples. But wait a second, these disciples have forsaken everything. They're poor as church mice. They have left virtually everything to follow Jesus. But in Jesus' presence, the disciples had begun to trust in position. They were disciples of Jesus. They had started to trust in pleasure. It was a pleasure to be with Jesus than to be known as His disciple. Oh, they had trusted in the passion. They were passionate about Jesus. And they were experiencing plenty every single day as miracles happened. But Jesus knew this would not be enough. Jesus was talking to Thomas. Brave Thomas. You remember, Thomas is the one who when Jesus says, I'm, I'm going up to Jerusalem and they're going to kill me there. And Thomas goes, if that's the case, I'm with you, brother. And then all the other disciples said, yeah, we'll go with you too. But you don't remember Thomas for that, do you? Because in just a few more days, Thomas is going to be known as the one who doubts that Jesus has risen from the grave. Jesus knows that's coming. And he wants more for Thomas. Jesus is talking to Peter. Peter who promised to stand for and defend Jesus even if everybody else abandoned him. Jesus who was willing to draw his sword and slice and he wasn't aiming at Malchus's ear. Peter who would deny Jesus three times and be remembered for that. Jesus was talking to all twelve who were secretly, they thought, arguing for who was going to be number two and then number three and number four in Jesus' earthly kingdom. Jesus was talking to Judas. Judas Iscariot. You know him. We know him as the betrayer, but before he was the betrayer, he was the dishonest manager taking funds from Jesus' own wallet to pad himself. Jesus is talking to His disciples. He says, whoever can be trusted with a little, he can be trusted with a lot. She can be trusted with a lot. Whoever is dishonest in a little, they'll be dishonest in a lot as well. Verse 11, so if you have been trustworthy in handling worldly, have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, 
who will trust you with true witnesses, uh, riches. Verse 12, if you have not been trustworthy with somebody else's property, who's going to give you property of your own? These are rhetorical questions, but the disciples should be answering them. Then Jesus goes in for the punchline, no one, no one can serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other, or to be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus was talking to His disciples. They had exchanged their infinite hope for finite hopefulness. Position, pleasures, passion, plenty had substituted or subtly replaced the important. And I have a confession to make. I understand. I remember that night clearly. I was living the American dream. It wasn't that many years ago, and it was in this town. I have a beautiful wife. I have two healthy children. I have a nice house. I have a two-car garage with two nice cars in it. I have a third car SUV that pulls my competition ski boat. I was living the dream. I had the dream job. I was youth pastor of this very church. I loved my job. My wife had an awesome job. She made more money than I do. We had expensive vacations, great toys. As I said, I was living the dream. Until one evening, I remember it, we were in the kitchen, the kids were in bed. We had everything, but we had nothing. Everything we had didn't matter anymore. The great jobs, the great toys, Yeah, I was passionate about my job and my kids. I had plenty. I had too much. But Jeannie and I had lost our purpose. We had grown apart. Suddenly, we had exchanged infinite hope for the American dream. It was a late night. We talked. We both cried. We decided that night we had to make a decision. We were going to live the American dream and live separately. Or we were going to live God's purposeful life and figure out how God would mend our marriage. Our priorities changed that night. We reevaluated our choices. Understanding that God's calling on our lives was what really mattered. We rededicated our lives to God and to each other. Infinite hope comes from knowing your purpose. Our purpose was to know God, to represent God to our children, and to serve God with all that we have. It hasn't and isn't easy. Martin Luther King said it this way, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. No, it hasn't always been easy, but I promise you it's worth it. I still love my wife. In fact, i got to hurry this message along. 
because I have a date with her this afternoon. Don't tell my boss I'm skipping out of work. I'm taking her to the state fair because she wants to go there. And so I want to get out of here faster than you do. The pursuit of happiness filtered through a sense of infinite hope understands that we know God's purpose for our life. Jesus' purpose. What was it? It was in Luke 19.10 says, He came to seek and save that which was lost. As Christ's followers, how can our purpose be any different? This does not mean that every one of you needs to be a theology major. But I believe that every major on this campus is called by God to serve Him in their vocation. I believe that God's calling to be a nurse, a doctor, a physical therapist, a sports trainer, a business person, I don't care what you're, you're going to be. It is a calling from God for you to represent Him in that field because He needs you in that field. Luke 16.1 Jesus is talking to His disciples. And Jesus is talking to His disciples today also. He says, For the people of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than people of the light. It is weak of prayer. May I get real with you, Swahoo? I don't mean to step on any toes, so I'm going to look down at my notes. Dean Iverson, Dean Travis, Coach Woodridge challenge our athletes to get up every day, to run, do drills, practice plays, work out. They are required to attend practices, to show up and be on time to games. So let me ask you, if it's important to the finite hopefulness of winning games, races, soccer, basketball, volleyball, baseball, if it's essential to our finite hope of winning, how much more important is it to our infinite hope to gather together and worship, to pray, to study, and to share Jesus Christ? I'm going to say that again because I know you missed it. If it's important to our finite hopefulness, to the winning of games, soccer games, baseball games, basketball games, volleyball games, if it's important to make that a priority, how much more important is it for our infinite hope of eternity with Jesus Christ and inviting others to come for us to assemble together in worship, in study, in prayer, in sharing. We recognize the value of physical training. So why do we have a problem in developing habits that enhance our spiritual health and growth? The purpose of this school is to help you to grow in knowledge faith, and service. That's why your faculty are here. That's why your staff are here. We want you to develop as lifelong learners. We as faculty and staff have committed ourselves to be lifelong learners. We want you to grow in your vocation and in your relationship with God to faithfully fulfill your calling. So this, this university is preparing you for more than a career. It's training you to recognize and follow God's purpose for your life. Jesus is still speaking to the disciples today. He's speaking to us. Are you faithful? Are you honest in the little details of life? 
your computer time? Are you faithful with it? Your study time, are you faithful? Your time alone with God, are you faithful? Can you be trusted with attending classes? Can you be trusted with the small budget you currently have? How are you handling the true riches of the good news of Jesus Christ as your Savior and friend? I I, want to ask you that question again. Are you a bucket or are you a conduit? You see, holding all of God's blessings for yourself is like a bucket. The manager in our story and Russell in my illustration were buckets. They saw God as stingy. They collected all they could from God, holding the blessings to themselves. It's called selfish Christianity. What an oxymoron. It doesn't exist. It's just selfishness. The bucket holds a conduit, shares. In your pursuit of happiness, settling for position, pleasure, passion, or plenty is to settle for finite hopefulness that will ultimately end in failure and disappointment. Infinite hope grows from the re- reflecting upon the purposes of your life as sheep who have been found under the direction of the Good Shepherd help find others. It's like reflecting God clearly to the world and to the church so that lost coins can be reflect that light and be found and placed in God's service. It's returning to the Father if and when we leave and being happy for others when they return. And it is knowing and serving God. Jesus was speaking to the disciples. And as a disciple, it's important that every resource we have, time, talent, wisdom, skills, funds, be used as a Christ follower. God's calling upon our lives is not to begin at graduation. It begins now. Jesus spoke to His disciples and there is no recorded action that the disciples took at this time. It's like it went right over their head. I don't think they even realized Jesus was speaking to them. But the Pharisees heard it. They sneered. They made fun of Jesus. They pulled out their buckets expecting God's blessing to be limited only to them. The disciples held their buckets tightly too. They didn't understand until after the cross. Infinite hope understands that God's blessings are for you, for people like you, and for people who are not like you. God's infinite hope is for every creature on the face of this earth. God's infinite hope is not just to be held by ourselves. It's to flow through us to the world around us. Where are you today? This month has been nourishing for my soul indeed. Appreciated Russ's imagery, how he talked about what's your God and what are we tacking on to God and saying like, yeah, he's, he's just half the thing at this point in our lives. Pursuit of happiness must be filtered through infinite hope. And when that happens, it will bring purpose and clarity. 
So as you seek purpose and clarity, to understand your mission, your calling, and how to shrewdly go about your dealings with others, seek God's insight. Seek discipline and practice that will push you towards infinite hope. I encourage you, wherever you are this week, today, or this month, find some time and space to get alone with Jesus. Pray in the quiet, seeking his purpose and clarity for you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Elevate Retake.